May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I'm always intrigued by this gospel story because I think it's kind of one of the most outrageous stories in Scripture, not just because it's the first sign, as John says, the first miracle, but because of how Jesus responds to his mom, right? So Mary comes up and says they have no wine. And Jesus, God bless him, his response is, why is that my problem? Can you imagine? Some of y'all have met my mom. Could you imagine how she would react if I went up to her? My mom's probably watching right now. Could you imagine if she said, oh, you need to do this? Why is that my problem? But moms tend to know when the time is right. right? And so she didn't come back at Jesus and ground him or scold him or anything. All she did was turn to the stewards, said everything's going to be okay. Just do whatever Jesus tells you to do. And so we all know the rest of the story, right? The stewards, they go and they fill the jugs with water and they bring them to Jesus. And Jesus, who moments ago had said, why is this my problem? It's not my time. He saw the need of his community. He heard the pleading from a woman. And he decided that it was time. So then they had enough wine for like 900 bottles of wine, if you do the math. So it's not just like they're going to finish the wedding. It's like the wedding feast will never end. Right? And if you read all the way through Scripture and you get to Revelation, you figure out part of this whole operation is that we as Christians believe the wedding feast will never end. And that started with Jesus' first son, which he didn't even want to do until his mom told him to do it. But in that moment, something happened that made Jesus realize it was time. Tomorrow we have off of work and of school and we celebrate the life of someone else who at first didn't think it was time. A preacher in... Montgomery just wanted to be a pastor. Maybe his ambitions were to be a professor. But he opened himself up to the movement of the Spirit. He opened himself up to what the community was calling him to do. He opened himself up to become what the world needed him to be. And so when Dr. King showed up at a rally with some people after Rosa Parks decided to sit down, it's not really surprising that he was chosen to lead this movement. And now knowing what we know about Dr. King and the way he preaches, sorry, the bar set really high and I feel a little intimidated when I talk about Dr. King as a preacher. But when he stood up that first day, 
in front of that group, not really knowing what he was going to say, and he was able to talk to them about God's dream and God's plan and what God was calling them to do in that time. But there's a story that goes, you know, it's one thing for the preacher to stand up in front of a couple thousand people and tell them, here's what I think God is calling us to do. But then Dr. King had to go home and talk to Coretta and say, honey, I think we just signed up for something. And the story goes about this conversation. Obviously, they knew that he had the gifts to do something like this. Obviously, they knew that the Spirit was nudging them to do this. But the story goes that he had to tell her, I could no longer sit on the sidelines. The time is calling for this now. I have to do something. And that takes me back to what Mary said at that wedding that was about to end. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Dr. King did what Jesus told him to do. If you're like me, maybe you got a text message from friends yesterday. Maybe you saw someone post something on social media yesterday. Maybe eventually you turned on the national news and saw something happening just down the street. And if you're like me, maybe you think, what can I do? What is Jesus telling me to do? We at this place have a connection with Congregation Beth Israel. Rabbi Charlie was one of the first clergy leaders in the area that I connected with and have had lunch with, and I've enjoyed getting to know him. Several members of that congregation join with our Sisters of the Spirit every week. And they fellowship with us here in this place. We have a connection with that congregation. And so maybe you are wondering, what can we do? I had a conversation yesterday afternoon with someone who didn't know what the answer was, but just knew there was a stirring, just knew there's something we have to do. Our first reading today, I didn't even think about this until I heard it read this morning. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. I think we all know what that stirring feels like. Maybe we don't know what the answer is, and I'm going to tell you right now, we don't. Actually, we in the room don't know what we need to do. Okay, we're not going to have answers today. We'll talk about that in a minute. But we know that there's a stirring. We know that God is calling us to something. We know that Jesus is going to tell us what to do. 
So the first thing we'll do as a community is we're going to listen. And we're privileged to have folks connected to us that are part of that congregation. And I look forward to hearing from them about what they need and what's helpful. And maybe that will lead to some things to do. But that listening goes beyond like the immediate need of one congregation. That listening goes to what can we listen from tradition? What can we listen from thought leaders? What can we listen from others? And there's, there's ways to do that too. Just in the next three days, basically, there's a couple opportunities. Right at four o'clock this afternoon, there's a reflective listening group that's gathering online based on some of the, the writings and the teachings of Dr. King, Carla Pulliam, is helping to coordinate that. We've shared that information via Facebook and via our social media and um, our email. If you want to sign up for that, please do that because you'll be able to hear from people. You'll be able to hear from someone who has thought a lot about how we respond to diversity and difference. Tomorrow night at the steps of Keller Town Hall, a local church, The Well, which is an incredibly diverse and multicultural congregation, they're hosting an MLK celebration at 7 p.m. I'm going to be there, mainly because I'm sitting at the steps of Keller Town Hall at swim practice every Monday night anyway. <laughs> but I invite you to show up. That church already has their, that's a more diverse congregation than we are. That church has something that they call the Specs Movement, where they're inviting people into conversation, into dialogue around diversity and difference. And their pastor, Pastor Trey, and I have connected, and we're going to talk about ways that we here at St. Martin's can support and get on board with the work they're already doing. Tuesday night, we have our human flourishing class. We've talked a lot about it, and maybe it seems like a big idea and a discussion for another day, but that other day was yesterday. And so I invite you to talk to DJ, talk to Paula or me, talk to the Seavers, talk to people who have been part of this class and how we've learned to engage with different ideas, engage with diversity and difference. Not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday, we're actually starting a book that seems like maybe the most appropriate book we can talk about. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs wrote a book called Not in God's Name, Confronting Religious Violence. And we're going to spend several weeks talking about that. So you can find information about that. We can get that information to you. Those are some things that you can actually do to engage in these conversations. But maybe what we really need to do most right now is to remember what Jesus has already told us to do. We baptized two babies at eight o'clock and I thought it was odd Right, we don't do a lot of baptisms at 8 o'clock. Typically, you have it at the principal service, and especially when kids are involved, you want to do it later. But they wanted to be baptized at the 8 o'clock service. And I don't know about Paula, but there was frankly nothing better that I think I could do with my time after what yesterday was 
and to welcome two new people into the household of God. Because we had these two new babies who their time started today as followers of Jesus. And we all stood up at 8 o'clock and we'll all stand up here in a couple minutes and we reaffirm our baptismal covenant where we remind each other, we remind ourselves, there are actual things Jesus has already told us to do. And so when we do that in a minute, we're going to say things like, will you persevere in resisting evil? How can we resist evil? Will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God and Christ? Will we proclaim that there indeed is good news even when blocks in our neighborhood are marked off by the SWAT team? There is still good news. Will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? That right there is when it gets really, really hard to be a Christian. Because maybe you saw some tweets or heard some things where people last night, they said their prayers were answered because everyone got out safe. The truth is, someone didn't get out safe last night. And right, justice is what justice is, and the law is what the law is, but we have to realize that a child of God, someone made in the image of God, was killed last night. That's when it gets really hard to be a Christian. Will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being? It's really easy to think about this when it's other people you're thinking about. When it's a school outside Columbine or in Connecticut, it's really hard to strive for justice and peace among all people. When it affects people you know and love when it affects people that you sit with in our parish hall every week, when it affects people that you have lunch with. I don't share this part of my story often, and you're going to find out why. But I am your rector today because seven friends of mine were murdered at Wedgwood Baptist Church. And I wasn't there because I was stuck in traffic. Some days it's really, really hard 
to be a Christian and to forgive and to love and to seek and serve Christ in all persons. But someday you may find yourself in a room with the brother of the man who killed your friends and then killed himself, and you're both mourning a loss. That's when we have to be Christian. It's really easy to do a lot of this stuff, right? It's really easy to come up here and have wafers placed in your hand. It's really easy to go to a Bible study and talk about Harry Potter. It's really easy to donate socks and money and do all of these things. It is hard to stand with someone when their world has fallen apart. But that is why we do all the other stuff. Because none of this matters. The Eucharist doesn't matter. Bible study doesn't matter. None of it matters unless we can stand up with someone and say, I forgive you. That's why we do all of it. And so when that moment comes, when our friends are locked inside a synagogue, when our friends are laying dead on the floor of a church, that is why we do all of this is so that we know we have hope in those moments, so that we know we have God's forgiveness in those moments, so that we know we can forgive in those moments. It may seem like the wine has run out in our lives. when we get those messages from our friends, when we watch the news and see our city and our community in crisis, it seems like the party's over. It seems like everyone's ready to go home. But we know how the rest of the story goes. Jesus told some people what to do and they trusted Jesus enough to do it. And the wedding feast never ended. And so we know when we feel like we feel today, we know when our friends hurt like they hurt today, we know when our world seems like it's falling apart, like it seems like it is today, we know the wedding feast has not ended. And now it's up to us to figure out what is Jesus telling us to do? And it's pretty clear. We'll reaffirm it in a couple of minutes. And I hope that your answer, frankly, I hope that my answer can still be, I will, with God's help. Amen.